Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Taylor Winget and Dallin Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Yeah, good to be here. And I'll just give our listeners a little bit of background. I first became aware of these two men when a story ran on ABC4 on August on October 5th, and we'll link that to the podcast, talking about the policy change, and then also talking about how you are trying to stay as active in the church as you can, and obviously have found each other and are moving forward with your marriage in August. And you're in the middle of this space of trying to do the best you can to be active LDS and also falling in love with each other and moving forward in your life. And when I most of the podcast listeners that I do are LGBTQ people that have found a way to stay, but I've wanted to do podcasts of those that are, I don't know if I'd call you leaving, but just um, not being able to fully participate because you're going into a same-sex marriage. And some would say, well, why do a podcast with you two? And it's a couple reasons. One is I want to humanize you two. And I want to help because I think it helps me and our listeners to see the goodness in what you're trying to do and the health of your type of, of relationship. Yeah, your relationship's outside the doctrine of our church. But to me, as I've met people in same-sex relationships, I've seen these are healthy, good relationships and often allow people to accomplish the things they need to accomplish because they have a life partner. Mm-hmm. I invite everybody I meet with to stay in the doctrine of our church. All the good in my life comes from living the teachings of the church. But if someone chooses a different path, I don't invite them. If I had met with you as your YSA bishop, I wouldn't sort of invite you to go down the road you're going. I'd invite you to stay. But if you were in my ward and said, this is what I'm going to do, I would say, well, I honor your decision. Um, It's your agency. It's kind of a principle of self-determination. And all three of us would know you couldn't fully participate in the church, but I'd want to keep you coming to our congregation. I'd want you to feel my love and sort of the circle of my love in your life as you move forward in the best way you feel for your life. So that's kind of a little bit of background why to do this podcast and and just for you two men to share your story so our listeners can hear your story. Mm-hmm. Is that all okay for a framework? Yeah, that sounds great. So let's, I think what I want to do in this podcast is have each of you tell your story individually, um, sort of the typical when you knew you were gay, when you came out, how you reconciled that, and and we'll first have Dallin go first and then Taylor, and then talk about how you two found each other and and the upcoming marriage and how your families are managing that, and also how you're trying to stay as active in the church as you can also like to talk about your relationship with Heavenly Father, which I think is really strong. Um, and just way of background, Dallin offered a wonderful prayer before we started. I sometimes wonder if we'd start recording those. And mm-hmm. and when I asked who wanted to pray, um, Taylor volunteered that he prayed in the car on the way here. And, <laughs> um, and Dallin prayed when we got here. And I think that's just what I think what my prayer in my heart and what these two men is the spirit will be here of understanding, support, empathy. And, and so we can just come together in the same human family to find common ground, even in our differences. And, um, so that's just a little bit more of the background. So Dallin, tell us where you grew up, what high school you went to, what college you went to, where you served your mission, that kind of stuff. All right. So I grew up in Sandy, Utah. I went to Jordan high school. I'm a beat digger. 
<laughs> I've always wondered how you feel about that name if you went to Jordan. You know, Did I'm you proud. love that name? I, I am very proud of that name. That's a great school. Yeah, it's unique. It's a great... Is there any other high school in the country that... Have you ever Googled that to see if Beat Digger has been adopted by another high school? I'm not sure. I know that we made Jay Leno's like top five worst mascots <laughs> list. Um, is that true? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> but we weren't first, so... <laughs> But I liked it. It was unique and different. So, and you good. always beat up on our high school. So we're in the they same do. area. Cottonwood High School sort of gets beat up by the Beat Dickers every now and yeah, then. Yeah, it sure does. One of my best friends went to Cottonwood. High Jamie, school, who connected us. Yes. So she's great. Yeah, I love her. So, tell us about high school. We're into sports, academics. Um, a little bit of everything. I would say I ran track. I was in the musicals. I was in student government. Um, I kind of got involved with anything that I could. I Good tried for to stay you. busy. Yeah. Why did be yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think something that would be important to mention for I guess that time period too was just that when I was in middle school is probably when I first started having to deal with um being gay. Mm-hmm. Um and not only I guess being gay, but just that I was more feminine. Mm-hmm. And so then I got I started getting singled out. And Were you teased and bullied? In I was, grade? yeah, seventh grade. I was definitely bullied. Um, I felt like I'd lost most of my self-esteem. And that's why my mom's such an important part of my story and why I wanted to talk about her because during What's that her time, name? her name is Melody Smith. Melody. Yes. Way to go, Melody, if you're listening. I'll bet you will be. Okay. Yeah, she um, was huge and just um, really giving me the tools to help me for the rest of my life during that time. I'd say seventh grade, right after that. She just told me, you don't ever let anyone else define you. You define you. And there was a, it clicked that day. I think it was like my lowest point I'd ever been at. And she said, you know, don't ever let anyone define you. And I didn't after that. Um, That's when I started just not caring what other people thought. And I did what I wanted to do. And I tried to be who I wanted to be. I think I became a little bit of an overachiever <laughs> just because there was a part of me that wanted Academically to be Academically like, or in other ways? More um, leadership-wise. Leadership I wanted to say government. I'm going to overcome. Yeah. And so I got involved a lot with anything that required me to be in front of people. So student government was a great outlet for me. Um, I was in peer leadership teams. I cool. loved being just out in front, I guess. Still um, loves that. <laughs> So did the bowling continue through high school or did it mellow? No, it didn't. It didn't. I'd say seventh grade was really the only year I was truly bullied. After that, I made some really great friends. Um, after that experience, when I just, I guess, learned to trust in myself and believe in myself. And then I found the right people. I believe Heavenly Father places people in your life at the right time when you need them and when you're ready for the lessons and the next steps in life. And um, so, yeah, that is kind of my story there. I didn't get bullied after that. And talk about just coming to terms with your sexual orientation. A lot of people I meet with does do sort of say the junior high years, but they may not talk to anybody at that mm-hmm. point. When did you start talking to anybody or or did you think this would end or I could somehow eliminate this um, orientation from me? I think I just never truly had to deal with it besides my experience in seventh grade. And then after that, it was almost like I wanted to prove people wrong because then it validated them treating me the way that they did. And so I didn't How ever... do you mean prove people wrong no. by being super straight? Or what do you mean by that? 
I guess it was just kind of my overachieving stuff that I was talking about. Yeah. It was just saying, regardless of how I am, I'm equal good. to you. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, did you come out to anybody in junior high or high school? No, I never did. And did you think because the bullying went away, you weren't gay anymore? Did you just kind of put that on the shelf and and in the back of your mind, you knew you were, but you just weren't needing to really address it I as think, you were having, as you're doing so much other stuff? I think in the back of my mind, I was worried, but I think I never had a reason to really talk or think about it too much. I mean, dating in high school is so much more about fun and kind of about status. So the girls that I dated and everything was more for fun. And I was never worried about getting married or what the next step was because I was the good Mormon boy. So really, other than kissing, there wasn't ever anything else to worry about. And I, I enjoyed it. I had fun. And I loved the girls that I dated. How was your emotional health, Dallin, in high school? Were you, were you okay emotionally or were you in difficult spots at times? I'd say for the most part I was just fine. Yeah. I don't think I really struggled too much in high school at all, actually. And tell our listeners where you served your mission. I served in Chile in the Santiago West mission. And what year, what, what year were you there, Dallin? So I was there from 2010 to 2012. That's great. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about your mission. How did you feel about it? I loved my mission. It was an amazing experience, and I wouldn't take it back for anything. Um, people always say that I'm spoiled, and my mom always told me, I want you to go somewhere where you'll be taught to be humble. And then I went to Chile, and they take such great care of missionaries. <laughs> and they actually ended up calling me El Principe, which means the prince. That was like my nickname on the mission. And the Chileans are very fun. And um, But I feel like I was more spoiled on my mission than I ever was at home. So I loved my experience there. I met some of the greatest people. I've gone back. Cool. Um, and I actually went back with, at the time, someone that I was dating, and so it was kind of like I just jumped right back into my mission. <laughs> and um, they were so accepting and loving and kind. That's great. Talk about what you do on a mission. I mean, I know it's to bring people to Christ, but is there any specific people you, that come to mind that join the church whose lives are better off or an investigator or a part member family that just comes to mind? Yeah, there was um, one lady that we call TT. Her name is Maria Graciela. Um, but we grew so close. I honestly feel like if I just went to my mission and only found her, it would have all been worth it. Um, we're still so close. She's come, in, she's come to the States, stayed with my family, become great friends with my family. And I genuinely love her. And those two years were worth it just for that one relationship. I mean, I had an, a lot of others that I really value. But even just for the one, it made it all worth it. Sure. Thanks for your service, Dallin. It's a big deal to consecrate two years of your life to serve the Lord and bring people to Christ. I think in our culture, it's so normalized. We sometimes take it for granted. I So thanks to both of you for what you've done and the people you've helped come into Christ. And I, I was asking another question. It just kind of slipped my mind. Did you, I, I get messages, maybe you get the same messages from missionaries that are gay that are thinking about going on a mission, thinking... Am I going to fall in love with my companion? Is this going to be awkward or am I going to be just fine? Did you worry about 
any of that before you left? And did any of that a problem or you're just kind of part of this brotherhood with this goal of finding, helping people? Any thoughts on that? For me, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but for me, it was definitely just this mentality. That's just where we were. I didn't, I never had time to even think about anything else. And I was just thinking about serving, not only just bringing the gospel to someone, but how can I just help this person? And you were constantly thinking about others. And that was actually, I think, easier for me because then you're not thinking about your own worries and your own fears and you really just lose yourself in the service of others. So that's great. Taylor, let's tell our listeners where you grew up. I think you had two cities you lived in. Yeah. So I grew up for most of my childhood in Las Vegas, Nevada. And my family moved me out to farm country in a little city called Eagle, Idaho, outside yeah. of Boise. And um, you graduated? Yeah. From... So I graduated from Eagle High School in 2009. And you two, I think I mentioned this, are both 27. Yes. Talk about just when you realized you were gay, Taylor. Yeah. So I, I would say the biggest realization was when I was 16. And I was going to get my patriarchal blessing and um, the patriarch was starting to ask me questions, you know, to get to know me and about my goals in life and things. And I just got really scared at that time that he was going to say in the blessing that I was gay. Wow. And um, that he was going to out me there in front of my parents. And he didn't. Um, so that was good. But um, It's honest. Thanks for sharing that. It's really honest. Yeah, it's, it was just something that I was like, oh, this is something I'm going to have to deal with. I didn't deal with it for a long time after that, but <laughs> did you like Dallin? Did you know in junior high you were gay? When did that sort of resonate with you that you're wired differently than the average man or woman? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I, I mean, I think I always knew ever since, yeah, middle school, I was also kind of teased at the same time for being more feminine than the boys who love to play basketball. I wasn't good at any sports. Um, except for Foursquare, I was good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, in middle school, when everyone's having a crush on everyone, I didn't really experience that, and I don't, I don't remember. Like I, looking back now, they were crushes on my friends, but it was never like in my head. It was just like they're really cool. I want to be their friend. So it's honest. How was your emotional health in junior high and high school? Was it okay, or were you like? some that get in really dark spots so for the majority it was okay um but i was i mean i knew i was gay and i was trying to deal with it and i think i when i was feeling down or depressed about it i turned that into i don't have any friends so i could talk to my parents about it openly and cry about it and they would be okay with that because i wasn't sure that they would be okay with me being gay so i think my yeah I don't know. It Tell is. us about your family. Are active LDS family, parents alive and together, siblings? Yeah, so my parents are together. My dad is has been bishop, is young men's president now. Mom and dad work in the temple every Tuesday night. Boise Temple? Uh, the Meridian Temple. The Meridian the Temple. One. Yeah. That's cool, yeah. It's really close to our my childhood house or whatever. Um, I'm the oldest of three kids. My sister lives in Provo with um, her husband. She's the head athletic trainer for the BYU rugby team, so she's wow. a big deal. And then my brother's on a mission in Maryland right now. Maryland, that's mm -hmm. great. And when did you did you come out to anybody before your mission, Taylor? No, I didn't. 
were you okay with that or were you worried as you went on your mission that somehow this would make you a less effective missionary or you'd fall in love with a companion or I mean where was your mindset as you left uh, my mindset was kind of I was ready to go and serve and you know I was excited to do what my friends had been doing because I was so much younger than everyone else in my grade um so I was excited to finally get out there and I kind of just pushed this aside hoping that um I could change while I was out there you know I, I feel like that's a common theme but that if I worked hard enough and baptized enough people that I would come back and be attracted to women and tell our listeners where you served so I served my mission in Mendoza Argentina right across the mountains from Dallin and tell us about somebody you taught that res you're still that's kind of a highlight of your mission Taylor yeah um the highlight would probably be when I went and you know we the area had been cleared out so we were four new missionaries there me and my companion on our first Sunday there this family showed up and the mom was a baptized member but inactive and this was their first son like their first Sunday in this city they had just moved there and they decided they wanted to go to church that Sunday. And um, her name was Soledad, and his name was Mario, and they had a little boy named Hedy. And um, working with them was just amazing. And they were living together but not married at the time, so we got to witness their wedding, and it was just really fun. And they just, I taught them how to make pancakes, and that was like a huge novelty to them. So <laughs> we would go over for pancakes. There's <laughs> famous pancakes. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. And um, just like, I don't know, they were, they became my family and they just seen their lives turn around and their relationship turn around because, you know, they, they never, we never saw this side, but they said that they were like about to break up when they moved to the city and that just the gospel really brought a lot of joy into their lives and they were really glad that they found it. Would you still invite people into the church, even though it's, there's not really a place for you to fully participate? It's a question that kind of popped in my brain. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that like part of the reason that I am as happy as I that I am as happy as I am right now is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That I know that God loves me and I learned that through the church. And I would invite anyone to go to church because I think it's offering great things to people. Dallin, any thoughts on that question? <laughs> I liked what Taylor said about the doctrine of, of Christ. I would invite people to learn of the doctrine of Christ. I don't know exactly where I stand with inviting people to go to church when I don't find myself actively going every week, but I do invite them to find a relationship with Heavenly Father and to look, at, look for the spiritual, I guess, in life and, and to learn of Jesus Christ and His teachings. And I think in whatever facet or avenue that is, um, whichever one I guess resonates with that person the most, I think in the end what's most important is that they gain a testimony that they're loved by God. Tell us a little bit about your family, Dallin. We didn't do how many siblings, your parents. I We talked about your mom, your parents alive and together. Mm -hmm, yeah. My dad serves as second counselor in the state presidency in Sandy Central Stake. Cool. Thanks yeah. for your service, Dad, if you're listening. <laughs> Those are long nights, I think, and long Sundays, so thanks. Yeah, he's and been I there a long time. I think he's been doing lots of church service, so it's not like it just started. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a bishop before that, so he's been in the church calling for a long time. 
And then my mom, she's the best. And then I have five, well, I guess I have four siblings. There's five of us in total. And like Taylor, we're both the oldest. Under me, I have my brother, Jacob. He is going to UVU, studying accounting. And then my sister, Tori, she got married and she lives out in Waco, Texas now. Wow. Yep. And then I have another sister, Kimber. She's a cheerleader at the University of Utah. Way to go, Kimber. Mm -hmm. So she switched my family over to the Utes. We have to cheer for the Utes now. <laughs> is that permanent? Or is I don't that know. just why Kimber's we'll there? It took my dad a lot to put on that red shirt. <laughs> Way to go, Dad. You're <laughs> dealing with things you never thought you'd deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably the hardest thing he's had to do so far. That was the hardest part, hardest part for me to start dating Dallin, was that I had to start wearing red for Utah games. <laughs> yeah, he's really embarrassed, but <laughs> love the sacrifice, Tay. <laughs> And then I have my youngest sister, my favorite sister, Callie, and she's 12. Wow. That's great. Uh, let's go back to you, Taylor. Just when did you come out to anybody and how, why did you come out to anybody? Yeah. So I, In fact, I'm going to ask Dallin cause I think you came out earlier. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just, yeah, I know you will, we'll get back. Tell us Dallin. I think you came out earlier. I did. So tell us just who you came out to and why and how old you were and how that all went down. So right towards the end of my mission, I was starting to have dreams and they weren't sexual dreams, but they were dreams where I saw myself married to a man with kids. And at the time I was also reading the miracle of forgiveness and I got really scared. And I think that's when I really started having to deal with my sexuality. And my dad had become a bishop while I was on my mission. And I promised myself then that when I came home, I would tell him because then I could kill two stones with one or two birds with one stone. And I didn't do it right away when I got home. I think I took my time just kind of readjusting to life. Okay. But about three months after. Was uh, he your bishop? Um, was he just. Uh, well, I went to school up at. You were at Utah, Utah State. State. Okay. Yeah. But I was coming home every weekend because okay. I didn't have really any time with my family. And he was reading his scriptures one night and I went and sat on his floor and I wasn't really planning on telling him. And then the moment just came and I said, dad, can I tell you something? And he said, yes, of course. And I said, I'm gay. And my dad was so loving and kind. And he just said, okay, we all have something hard to deal with and I don't have the answers, but I love you and we'll figure it out together. And I'm so grateful for that first experience because I think that was the foundation of the rest of my coming out process. It was always positive and it started with my dad. Yeah, you brought a few tears in my eyes. Just as I hear these stories, the courage it takes to come out and the different experiences you get. Most come out to mom. Mom seems safer than dad. <laughs> and I know you've got a relationship with both. Why did you come out to dad? I think my dad was safe. Not that my mom wasn't, but kind of what I was talking about earlier about seventh grade, I almost felt like because we'd fought so hard together to overcome so much that I was letting her down. And I had such a close relationship with my mom. And I think I was, not that I wasn't afraid to lose it with my dad, but I was really nervous about my relationship with my mom. I didn't know how she would take it. And my dad's normally one to listen and my mom's one to fix it. But we told my mom a week later, me and my dad together. And that was probably the hardest experience that I had was having to come out to my mom. And I'm not sure why, because I know she loves me more than anyone else, but okay. it was. 
And I sense from everything we visited, you're, you know your mom loves you and your dad loves you. And I think it's okay to just come out differently. Some come out to both parents at the same time, some one versus the other. And I think parents need to realize it's not, they're not the favorite. It just works differently in every family. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell us some of the things that you're, so if parents are listening that um, want to say the right thing when a kid comes out to them or a local leader, what? What are the best things that your parents said to you? I think what my dad said was everything that I needed to hear. And it was that he didn't have the answers, but that regardless, he was going to figure them out with me. And I'm so grateful for that because there's so many other ways that I could have dealt with my sexuality. And I feel like because he created a place where I felt safe, I was able to tell him my truth and he was able to walk with me every step of the way from me coming out. And and still to this day, he still walks beside me and supports me and loves me. And he still doesn't have all the answers. And what we've come to learn is that that's okay. Did it change your emotional health to come out to your parents? Or were you kind of this okay on both sides of that? I think that it was a bit of a relief, for sure. Because then there was nothing that they didn't know. And I didn't feel like I ever had anything to hide. And after they knew, I didn't feel like it mattered what anybody else think, thought because I knew what they thought of me. And this was, you're 27. Is this way back at 21? Mm-hmm. This is six years ago. Yes. Did you try dating women? A little bit. Yeah. Right when I had gotten home. I think, because at first when I told my parents, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I think there was a full year of kind of figuring things out. Um, I didn't start dating men. I actually was trying to date women Um, just because I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. That's the next step. And that's really when it was solidified that this is my whole life. And I don't think I can do this with a woman. I don't feel right about it. And I went back to those dreams that I had on my mission too. And I just kept thinking, I know that my purpose is different. What do you make of those dreams then? I think that was Heavenly Father just helping me out. (laughs) I think he communicates to me in dreams. Um, And I think he was just telling me, don't worry, I'm with you. It's going to work out. This is part of what your plan is. What was difficult or not difficult about Miracle of Forgiveness? I believe that there's a whole chapter in the Miracle of Forgiveness about homosexuality and how it's a sin. And orientation or behavior or both? Yeah. I, I, I Honestly, I don't really remember. I try not to. It's okay. <laughs> that book, I think even if you're the best person on earth, if you read that book, you're going to feel guilty. And I don't know how guilt plays into our purpose here on earth. I wonder if guilt is something that we're supposed to feel. Um, I know we talk about sorrow, and I think it's good to recognize your mistakes, but I don't think Heavenly Father is sitting there being like, oh, I hope he feels guilty for what he did. I think he's a lot more loving. Yeah, and I, I'm, I've recognized when I was a singles word bishop, parts of that book were difficult for the YSAs, and I finally quit giving them that book. I gave him the infant atonement that was, a, I thought, a little more positive take on the atonement and the ability to help us move forward. And, and so I think that book was kind of written for its time and resonated at the time. I remember reading it as a young man, and, and it was very helpful to me, but I think we've just learned and matured. And so I think that's helpful. I, I I like the word, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I finally 
when I started my YSA assignment, guilt and shame were synonyms to me. They kind of melt the same, meant the same thing. And so, but now I, I sort of look at guilt as a positive thing if it, if it motivates change. And it's sort of forward thinking, positive, I'm going to be okay. This is a learning experience. Shame is just Satan's tool to make you feel like you're crap. And if you've messed up in any category that you're no longer good enough or God doesn't love you, and it's sort of a whirlpool of of looking in the mirror and only seeing problems and sin and setbacks. So that's the way I've tried to de-shame people and sort of mm-hmm. take the shame out, which I think we're using the same concept, maybe just different words. Yeah, I think so too. So Taylor, talk about your when you came out. Yeah. And so... you're, tell us where you went to school because... Dallin went to school at Utah State, graduated in marketing, and tell us where you went to school and what you studied. Yes, yeah, so I went to BYU, and I studied public relations, got a minor in Spanish because it was easy and brought my GPA up. <laughs> <laughs> you are an honest man. <laughs> I try to be. Um, so after I, I, I guess my coming out story is kind of long, so I don't know if it's okay if I yeah. tell it all, but um, so after graduating from BYU... Well, so while I was at BYU, I decided, you know, I knew that I wasn't getting much out of dating, so I was going to stop. Just hang out with my friends and do fun things. And um, after graduating from BYU, I realized that life's not the same. You can't hang out with your friends every night. You can't just be a good friend to people and still feel fulfilled. I spent a lot of time alone, you know, after work. Um, When I moved to Salt Lake, I didn't have as many friends. And that was when I actually found yoga. So my friend Janice invited me to yoga after work one day, because she was a teacher. And um, so I went to her class and she was giving like her final little message because with each class they do kind of a theme. I don't even remember what the theme was, but I remember like when I, I just like, it feels cheesy to say, but like I really did feel the spirit in that yoga room, (laughs) as weird as that sounds. And um, I just, I was like, this is something that I need in my life right now. And I started going obsessively. I think I went too much and I became certified as a yoga teacher. Way to go. Great job. um, One thing that I really learned during yoga was like, I just found like in church where I felt like I had to hide a part of myself. Um, I still had friends there and I had a great community there, but I felt like I couldn't be 100% myself. Whereas in yoga... Yoga brings people from all different walks of life together, and everyone in that teacher training class loved me for who I was. And I think that was a really big step forward for me in loving myself no matter what. They loving didn't know yourself I was gay. no matter what. I love that. Yeah. Um, like, no one knew that I was gay. I wasn't out yet. But I just felt like these people would love me no matter what. And... Um, Lots of yoga doesn't resonate with me, <laughs> but um, like lots of the teachings. And that was when I found like, you know, I still really resonate with what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches. And I, so I, you know, still went to church and was faithful and everything. And um, I didn't start coming out. I came out to two friends um, in September of last year. So September 2018, when I came out, not very long ago. <laughs> Um, but what I didn't realize that like at the time, I guess God started putting lots of gay people in my life. I found out that I had tons of friends that were gay and I didn't know it. And, um, we went on a boating trip one night and, um, there were a couple of lesbian couples there that I didn't know about. And then I saw them holding hands and I was like, Oh wait, they go to church with me on Sunday. What's happening? And, um, I talked to them and I just saw that, you know, they could love God 
and um, go to church and um, and still find happiness in a relationship like that. And I I wanted that. I knew that was something that I had been seeking after for a long time that I didn't know how to f- find fulfillment in my life. I wasn't just going to be a good friend. I wasn't just going to be an uncle. Um, something that's always stood out to me is that man is not meant to be alone. I just really feel like I need a connection in my life. Um, so that after the boating trip that night, I downloaded Tinder. because <laughs> I didn't know where I was going to meet people. Um, so then, um, a few, like a few weeks later, you know, after going on lots of dates, I was trying to meet as many people as I could, just trying to get out there. And you were dating men at this point. Yes. Dating men on, on, on Tinder. Um, and I've met Dallin and, um, I don't know, things just really clicked with us. And so I, I started testing the waters with my friends. I tested the waters, you know, earlier in September with my friends, with my gay friends that I already knew would be fine. Uh, then um, in October, I told my sister, um, right after general conference, we watched general conference, <laughs> I told her. And um, my sister was great. She sat in, on the couch next to me and hugged me and just told me that she loved me so much. And I don't think it was a surprise to her or to anyone in my family, actually, just because they had seen that I wasn't dating and didn't want to date. And um, I don't know, my sister was so great. Caitlin, she's the best sister ever. And um, so then a week later, I told my parents. A week later, I told my parents and um, through FaceTime, I was trying to work out a time to go up to Idaho. Tell me it just wasn't working out. So I told them through FaceTime and my sister came over to be there with me. And uh, my my mom said, because I texted him the night before, I was like, can I FaceTime you tomorrow? Um, and there's something I need to tell you. And she said that she knew immediately that I was going to come out to them over FaceTime. And wow. She knew you were going to come out before you came out. Yeah. And that, so I tell her, and it's like, Taylor, for the past two years, I've been expecting you to come out to me every time you came home. And you never did. So I would feel bad, but then... For thinking it and i thought maybe that wasn't it but it just kept how did she know you were gay um, have you ever asked her she ever said or she think like the spirit really was preparing her i think like she was really getting whisperings from god that because her perspective started to change she started to meet women who had gay sons and was t- talking to them you know and just i think i think mom was prepared <laughs> um that's what happens when you have a really spiritual mom. <laughs> they get ready. Um, and my dad was just as good. He just was super loving. And they just said that, expressed how much love they had for me, that they were going to love me no matter what. Um, man, there was really no concern after that. We started telling my family, and um, my mom started telling her parents and everything because I was already in a relationship with Dallin at the time. So if... Did you tell them when you came out you had a boyfriend, or did you separate that? I separated that by a day. <laughs> All day. Yeah. <laughs> because I, my mom could tell there was something up because I wasn't talking to them on the phone as much. I would call my mom a lot uh, because I was lonely. Um, but then once I was dating Dallin, I wouldn't hardly call her, and she knew something was up. <laughs> What's funny and, about that, too, is that our moms became really good friends after that. That's interesting. Yeah, because so my mom and, you know, to try and widen her community, she started talking to Melody and they, yeah. Your mom's name is? 
Robin. Robin. So Robin is talking to Melody. Yep. Because they're both walking the same road together. Exactly. That's cool. And now Melody tells us, like, even if it wasn't for you guys, we would be friends. So don't think that you brought us together. (laughs) (laughs) This is, there's some differences in your story because you came out to your parents, Dallin, and then I don't know how long until you had your first boyfriend, but there's a period of time there. And the period of time for you is one day. (laughs) And so I think I like, I think parents just have different experiences in this space and and although it sounds like your parents at least felt impressed to know you were gay and waiting for you to come out, what would you have done if they had asked? So this is kind of a question some parents may suspect they have an LGBTQ kid. Mm-hmm. What would have happened if your mom had asked you a year before you came out, are you gay? Would you have liked her asked you that? Or would you, is it better you just did this on your own schedule, Taylor? Yeah, I'm really torn about that because on one hand, it would have made me face things a lot sooner. I think I would have felt less pain in dealing with accepting myself for who I am if my parents would have asked me, but I also think that I would have denied it. Um, because, you know, I'd had people like message me before asking me if I was gay and I would say no. Um, so you did have people ask you? Yeah, there was a couple people that had asked me and I would just say I would deny it because I wanted to be good. I wanted to try and be straight the best that I could and yeah and then there just came a point where I couldn't do it anymore yeah and I I think about that too um and I know some parents that do ask their kids if they're gay and then sometimes that works out really well and sometimes that's difficult and I think another strategy is just a parenting principle to create safety so you're just saying kind things about different groups in your home so if I were to do it all over again I'd I and we don't have any LGBTQ kids that I know of the six. We're pretty sure we're not in that space. But anyway, I think I would just try to say kind things about everybody, LGBTQ. I think I would talk about that with my wife in a positive way so that it would send kind of an indirect message to the kids that mm-hmm. you can talk about this. I sort of did that as a YSA bishop. I I said thing, kind things on social media about LGBTQ brothers and sisters, and mm-hmm. that did have a big impact for good in the culture of our ward. I didn't have anybody come out to me because of that. The couple that were already out were already out. <laughs> but it was interesting. The straight kids, and I call your age group kids, said, well, if he's going to be kind to LGBTQ, I can talk to him about this stuff that I really never talked to anybody about. He can handle it. Yeah. And so I think that's a principle as parents that we can – if we're doing an us versus them or demonizing a different group of people, that be careful who you hate. It might be someone you love Yeah, is a phrase that some of the moms of LGBT kids have taught me because um, it really might be someone you love. Mm-hmm. Well, what's hard, too, because I remember when I was when I was young and living in Vegas, my family had the protect the family sign in our front yard because they were voting on that constitutional, the state constitution amendment. And um I guess I just carried that with me throughout my whole life. You remember that? Yeah. What did you remember from that, that you thought about you because of that sign? I That just made me think that I wouldn't be accepted or that if I was going to live a gay lifestyle, my family wouldn't accept it. And, you know, just like dinner talk table, because my family would get together all the time in Boise. Everyone, all my aunts and uncles lived together, and I just remember 
all kinds of talk, you know, I mean, they don't mean to say it and no one means to be rude or hateful, but they know no one suspected that I was there <laughs> listening. Um, I mean, they all feel really bad now. Men, lots of my, lots of people have said, you know, I'm sorry for anything that I would have said and, you know, it's okay. But when you're young and you already aren't sure about yourself and you hear that, I think it leaves an impression. I think it took me a long time to work through that. Which I was glad for, you know, both therapy and yoga that taught me to love myself no matter what. Yeah. I think Heavenly Father would want you two men to love yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's our doctrine. Uh, I read a face, I'm kind of tangenting just a little bit. Um, I read a Facebook post about a local leader being, at, someone asked, you know, I'm gay. And the local leader suggested, um, you know, I find it not helpful to ask God why you're gay but just kind of to move on in your life. And I wasn't, I've wondered if that was good advice because I've thought some LGBTQ people I meet, you know, ask Heavenly Father why you've been created this way. And they get specific answers that help them feel good about who they are. Mm -hmm. And it actually gives them spiritual clarity and more maturity. Do either of you have any experience asking your heavenly parents why you're created this way and, and have received answers for why you're gay? Yeah, so I think the, because I used to pray all the time for this to be taken away from me. That was my prayer for a really long time. And then when I did finally change the prayer to why, it's because God wants people to know that he loves all of his children. And that's a hard lesson for me to be <laughs> the one that has to show that example, I think. But um yeah, I think God does love all of us so much more than we can ever comprehend. And his love isn't conditional, but it's always there for us. And I think that's one thing that I'm hopeful that I believe that I'm here for. So just so I understand, Taylor, you part of your answer to why God created you is so that Heavenly Father's children will know they're all loved, and you can help show that through your, through who you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. And being part of a marginalized group that has a harder road, it's easier to authentically do that than if you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, is that okay? If I, is that a fair assessment right. of what you yeah, said? that's exactly right. Dallin, any thoughts on this for you, on why God has made you gay? I think for me, it was my father's example and he was able to love me. And if he loved me, why would God not love me? And I don't know. I think looking back, I remember feeling like maybe God didn't love me in high school, even maybe on my mission. I felt like for some reason I was never, I never had those experiences where God comes and said, yes, Dallin, this is true. And, you know, had these amazing miracles in my life. But... I did have my father and if he was able to love me, then I knew that my heavenly father was more than capable to do the same, if not more. And once I realized that, I think, I think it all changed for me and I felt God's love so much more. And it's interesting saying that because I wasn't going to church every Sunday at that time, but that's when I felt my heavenly father the closest. And I still feel him so closely. And I think it doesn't matter if I'm going to church on Sunday or if I'm, you know, 
eating McDonald's on a Sunday. Not that I'd do that, but <laughs> <laughs> but he's he is there for me. He loves me, and he he loves all of his children. I like that Taylor said that. I've really tried to wrestle with this question. Um, I certainly have learned a lot, and I sort of probably first thought that things kind of went awry, and somehow through the fall or some sort of earthly, non-heavenly father law, that's not even good English, that um, gay people or LGBT people were created and it would all be fixed in the resurrection. And I don't know, I'm just careful about that. But now I don't, I don't want to talk about the resurrection right now, but I do feel pretty strongly that how everybody's created is how they're meant to be created. Mm -hmm. And nothing sort of went awry. And I, and God <laughs> is not up there doing sort of a head a face palm saying, oh no, what happened? Mm -hmm. Some of my children are LGBTQ. I just, I, I, I just believe God doesn't make mistakes and he's not capable of being surprised. And even though it's harder to explain this in our plan of salvation, um, that's, and I don't think anybody should look in the mirror and think how they're created is not how God wanted them to be created. I do think our doctrine is it, God is not capable of making mistakes. And so everybody's Created as it doesn't mean everybody's perfect and mortality's full of imperfections, but that's just kind of my feeling on this. Yeah. Um, and then there's no shame. I don't think God wants us to feel shame for how we're created. And then I think we're better, more likely, because there's less shame to make better decisions and stay closer to God and receive more personal revelation. Any thoughts on that from either of you? Yeah, I definitely believe that each person on this earth has a divine purpose. And, you know, whether that purpose is small or big, that's up to us to find out while we're here on earth. And we find that out by being close to God throughout our life. And, um, I mean, really, yeah, I just totally agree. There are no mistakes in God's creations. All of us are here the way that we are for a reason. And it can, and it's for a good reason. It's to help his children in some way. Any thoughts on that, Dallin? Thanks, Taylor. I agree with Taylor. I think that everything happens for a reason, that we're all who we are for a reason, and that we are in each other's lives for a reason. And so talk about your decision to get married. Um, it's crazy. What that happened. When did you get engaged? <laughs> we got engaged in February. Okay. And you started dating in, I uh, can't remember, October? October yep. 3rd. So this is, a, <laughs> I, I love the way you know those dates, and you should. <laughs> yeah. And um, talk about how this is working out with your active LDS families to have returned missionary sons now going into a same-sex marriage. Because that's a complicated, you know, that can be complicated for LDS families. So talk about how your families are navigating it. Any, who wants to go first on that one? Everybody's looking at Taylor, but maybe <laughs> Dallin's going to go. Oh, man. Okay. So we had talked about it, and we knew that we wanted to get married. And um, so I texted uh, – the first thing I did was I texted Dallin's mom, Melody, and asked for if there was a time where I could talk to her and his dad, Darren. Um, you know, the, maybe that's too traditional. I don't know. But to ask for, you know, kind of their consent or blessing on everything that we were going to do moving forward. Um, and when I started, you know, they both started crying. I was like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. <laughs> but it actually turned out really positive. They were great and incredibly loving. And 
um, they said that they thought it was a great idea and they had never seen Dallin so happy, which was really a relief to me. Um, and my parents are equally as supportive. They're just, my mom's been so excited. She helped me plan the proposal. And she uh, helped you plan the proposal. Yeah, a little bit. She That's helped cool. print the pictures out and uh, brought some materials down that I was too poor to buy. I didn't know that, Taylor. Oh, good to know. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, as far as our actual wedding, my dad offered to marry us when we were trying to think about who would marry us. My dad said I could do it. And um, that was, you know, just another symbol of their love for us. Um, their support and, you know, just unwavering you know, love. Yeah, and I would wish that for every couple because it's felt so normal. It hasn't felt like, oh, this is different, so we need to treat it differently. It, mm -hmm. It's felt the same. And I think our families have, not only our um, immediate families, but our our extended family as well. And they've just treated us like they would treat anybody else. And there's some safety and there's comfort in just the norm, the normalcy, normalcy, yeah, of of it. And I feel like that's how it should be. Why does it have to be so different? Why does the gay experience have to be so different? And maybe part of that's mentality. Maybe part of that is because it's new and it is different. But maybe even though it is different, we don't have to treat it that way. Mm -hmm. Those are a bunch of things pretty neatly said in that. Taylor, you went to Down's parents and asked permission <laughs> to marry their son. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think that's really cool. Uh, that's not a conversation that Melody and Darren were planning on having when Dallin was eight, that one day that <laughs> would happen. And so um, it's just uncharted territory. And I mm -hmm. think then parents need principles to navigate this. And I think the doctrine of you keep the family circle together is the, is the principle that applies here. Mm -hmm. And there's a time to sort of stand up for the teachings of our church. And one of the teachings of our church is traditional marriage. And one is we keep the family together. And I think, you know, sometimes you just have to balance these two different principles. <laughs> and so I think your parents and it, and I'm not saying every parent should do what you do. I want to give LDS parents sort of the permission to say, well, I need to kind of navigate this my way. But I think it's good to share your stories to give parents thoughts on, well, this is how your parents are navigating this. So you went and talked to Dallin's parents, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Your mom helped you with the proposal. So this mm -hmm. is, and then your dad, your LDS dad said, can I officiate at the wedding? Mm -hmm. What did that mean to the two of you? To me, that was just like another symbol that we weren't going to be ostracized afterwards, that we were fully accepted into my family. That um, I don't know, that we wouldn't have to find some random pastor that we would pay to come officiate our way, and that it would actually be someone who met meant a lot to me. Um, yeah, and... Uh, it was just like, a, it was a great expression of love to me because I would never ask him to do that because I wasn't sure what he would think. But so you, no one asked your dad, no one, this wasn't your idea. No, but he just offered out of the blue and it was, to me, it's great. I'm pretty touched by that. I, I just, this is just really complicated space. 
And I'm glad we're talking about it because I think it helps all of us know what are the principles that apply if we're navigating the space. And is your dad selling out his LDS church membership to perform a same-sex wedding of his own son? And some might say, well, you know, you're not honoring the doctrine of our church. You're over-supporting your kids. And others would say, well, you know, the, the doctrine of our church is family and keeping the family together. And they're and they are going down a road that I'm going to as their parents just put my arms around them and honor them. Mm-hmm. And I think, so my personal feeling is everything your parents is doing would be consistent with what God or Christ would do. And maybe Christ is the judge and we just leave that to Christ and your parents are doing keeping your family together. And and so it's just complicated. I know of a couple, I know of a couple in Arizona, I mean, in California where the dad married his sons. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a big picture they put on Facebook and the dad, you know, and I thought it was just, I, I thought that was a great thing to consider. So it may not work for every family, but I love what you said. I didn't want some random pastor. Because the pragmatic side of my brain would say, well, what's better, a random pastor at this point or a family member? Mm-hmm. And what can make the experience more meaningful for the whole family? Yeah. Uh, talk about, um, one of the things you talk about, Dallin, is being positive and not being a victim. Share with our listeners some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, for me, I feel like a lot of the time when we talk about LGBTQ uh, experiences, there's kind of this really sad tone about them. And I think that they are sad experiences, but I also think that a big part of it also is how we choose to use those experiences for our own betterment. And so even though those experiences are hard and sad, and I know that my experience is actually pretty, probably cushy compared to a lot of other people, but I also feel like we are in, in control of so much more than than we realize and we'll have different experiences. Um, but really it depends on the way that we choose to approach it. And I think we have to look at it in a light that says, this made me who I am and I'm proud of who I am and I love who I am. And no matter what anybody thinks, I know what I think (laughs) and I know that I matter. And that's something I would want any LGBTQ kid that's listening to know is that you do matter what you do matters and I know it's hard but it's hard for a lot of us we can do this and you don't have to become anything other than what you already are become more of who you already are love yourself you were made exactly the way you are for a reason just like Taylor was saying there's a purpose in why you are the way you are and you matter And I wish I would have known that earlier to the extent that I do now, because it's really pushed me to be, to want to become better, not because other people expect it from me or because that's what I'm supposed to do, but because I want it, I want to become the best me and my experiences have shaped me, but it's only one part of my identity. There's so many other things that make me who I am. And God sees me for all those things. My parents, I think, see me for all those things. Taylor sees me for all those things. And I would hope that all of you find people that can see you for who you truly are. Taylor, talk about belonging versus fitting in. Yeah. That was great, Dallin. So one thing that, you know, like really changed the way that I feel about myself and the way that 
I saw my place as both gay and LDS was reading Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. To me, she's the 13th apostle. Just kidding. Um, I love that book. (laughs) But um, so she said something that just really resonates with me. She says, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Um, and I just think, you know, don't, in high school we go, I tried so hard to fit in with the cool kids. I never made it. You know, I never actually fit in with them. I never actually was their friend. Um, and I was never happy. But now I feel like I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I accept every part of myself and I love every part of myself. I'm not trying to change who I am to force cool kids or anyone else to accept me. Um, so just kind of going along similarly to what Dallin says, love yourself and you'll find that peace and that happiness and others will be drawn to that. Um, yeah. I really like both of what you said. I love the idea of fitting in versus belonging. And I, that really resonates to me as I talk to LGBTQ people and, and how we're so much emotionally better off if we belong. Talk about, you know, a lot of people, when they go into a same-sex marriage, they leave the church. And in some ways that's practical because you're outside the doctrine of the church and you can't fully participate. But you two have tried to sort of say, we're not sure. You know, maybe we can come and participate to some extent. Talk about why you'd be willing to, why you're considering that and why you're keeping the door open to being engaged in the church, however way you're defining that. Yeah. So for me, um, I mean, the future still, uh, we don't know what it is, right? It's still a giant question mark. But um, looking at it, I love my relationship with Heavenly Father. I'm glad that I have my relationship with Heavenly Father. And the main institution that's helped me nourish that relationship is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, So I want to keep, I find great people there, I find great friends there, and I want to keep going because if we have kids, I want my kids to have that same kind of experience that I had when I was growing up with friends in primary. Um, And I think you find great people there and you find people that want to become closer to Christ. And that's what I want. So I think you can still find people, like even though we are outside the doctrines of the church or whatever, um, I think that our purpose is still to grow closer to Christ. And I think that's the purpose of the gospel as well. And that's why I think that we would still try and keep going. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit in our interview um, on the news. And I feel like if we want to go to church, then we're going to go to church. And if we want to go to the gay pride parade (laughs) and support, then we're going to go. I don't think we should be expected to have to do either or I guess choose between these two communities. 
And we really feel like we don't have a place in either one. And I feel like we create our own community. We find great friends in the church, people that love us and support us. We find great people in the LGBT community that love us as well and that make great friends and that push us to be better. And we feel like we don't fit in either one perfectly. And we're trying to find our own place. And I think the only way for us to do that is by making our own place. I like that. And I have a picture here our listeners can't see, but it's a a bunch of round holes with mostly round holes going around holes, but there's one square peg trying to go into a round hole. And I look at that as our LGBTQ members that are square pegs and Maybe at one time we wanted you to pray enough that you're, you would turn into round pegs <laughs> and then everything would work. And we like recognize that doesn't work. Um, I kind of put it like not being, you can't change your eye color or if you're left-handed, you can't make yourself right-handed. So there's sort of limits on the power of the atonement. And so then I think, well, what, what's our responsibility here? And, um, so I think in our families, one of the p- pictures here, there's nothing but round holes. So it's not like there's a few square square holes that you can eventually find, but I think our families can be square pegs. So I think one of the things your families are doing is they are creating figuratively a square peg so that you belong in your families. And to me, I get very tenderhearted for parents that are willing to do that. Because it's complicated, and you worry about your kid's salvation, and you worry about empty seats at the table, and you. But I think you can create a culture in the family where we're going to have a place for LGBTQ family members, even that leave our ch- our doctrine of our church, and we're going to create a family culture that has room for square pegs and round pegs. Mm-hmm. And I think both of your families are doing that, and I've wondered in a ward if we can do that in the sense that we will. I think this is what Christ did is just make it feel so everybody's welcome. And so I always felt like in our YSA congregation, there was no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome in our congregation. The gate was wide at that point. The narrowing of the gate was the temple. And that's where, you know, some members could get to the temple and some wouldn't, but we wanted everybody to feel welcome. So I've always wondered if we can, and I don't try to be prescriptive what the church ought to do, but I think it's within our, within the doctrine and what the brethren are teaching that everybody f- feels welcome at church. And so then we create at times kind of a square peg culture there so that if you want to come to church, and even if people know you're together, because you probably come to church, you're probably even nervous about sitting by each other or holding each other's hands and mm-hmm. because then people know you're a couple. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't quite know how to navigate that, um, but I hope that we can mature as a church that everybody feels welcome at church. And I look at what we taught in Corinthians 12 with Paul, that the body of Christ wants every part of the body to be there, the hands, the arms, the legs. And so I, I, it's just some thoughts, because I don't think you're supposed to become round pegs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe from a heteronormative culture, it would simplify things and keep everything in the nice tidy box if everybody just were a round peg. But I don't think that's God's plan. And I think the beautiful differences in all of us are part of us growing as the body of humanity. So that's just some thoughts from my perspective on, you know, using your analogy, Taylor, round pegs, square holes. But credit to your family, because I think 
they're creating space for you. And maybe that's visually represented by your father, Taylor, saying, I'll marry you. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a more powerful message to to the two of you about how he feels about you, mm-hmm. but to actually perform this wedding as an act of Latter-day Saint. Yeah. Um, so that, to me, is a beautiful way to do that. I'm not sure every I'm not... If you're a parent saying, I couldn't do that, (laughs) that's okay. We're not trying to be sort of like drawing people to a certain way of thinking. We're just in this podcast trying to share different stories of how your family's navigating it so that other people can hear your story and say that that part of your story works for us or that part may not. More thoughts either of you would like to share? For me, listening to your analogy about the, the square pegs, I feel like really in the end, maybe there's there were never pegs and holes in the first well, place. This is good. Keep going down yeah. this road. I like this. I was just going to say that I feel like in the end, we all have different experiences and some make sense to people and some don't, but it's not between us and our brothers and sisters. It's between us and God. And I think he knows, he knows why we're here. He knows what the purpose is. And maybe sometimes it's not fitting in. Maybe it's okay to not fit in because maybe that's what inspires the change in in ourselves in others and even in our own relationships with with God. Great. Very mature thoughts. Thanks, Dallin. Anything else, Taylor? Um, I would I guess just to end, like one of the biggest things that's become clear to me throughout all of this is that every person has their own journey. And you can't judge other people's journeys and you can't judge where people are at. Um, Because I've gone through big, you know, waves of loving God, hating God and wanting to be close to him and wanting to be as far away from him as I could. And and then looking at other people that I had previously judged, I see that they are great people um, and that they were going through something or that they were trying to figure out where they belong. Um, and the biggest thing that I, that I personally am trying to do now is just love everyone, no matter where they're at on their journey or what they believe while they're on their journey. Because all of us, I think at the heart of it, everyone just wants to be a good person and wants to be happy. And everyone's trying to achieve that the best way they know how. And, um, I feel lucky that I have this great relationship with heavenly father and that I, feel loved and that I am happy, but lots of people don't feel that. And if we can, if we can be that love for other people, then I think that's huge. Yeah. And I think kind of going off what Taylor's saying is showing compassion on both sides. I think a lot of times we have them and the other, and it's the church versus the LGBTQ community. And if we were all just more compassionate and tried to understand each other more, I think we would come to a better understanding in a place of belonging for everyone where everyone feels welcome. Talk about your favorite doctrines in the gospel. What are sort of your favorite things of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Man. um, Well, so my favorite scripture, I think for like as long as I can remember, is um, Ether 12. Oh, but now I can't remember the verse. That's embarrassing. How can you say it's your favorite scripture and then not even remember the verse? (laughs) Uh, But it talks about how you have faith for a better world. And to me, that's 
I just love that concept of faith that, and I think faith brings about that change or you can use your faith to manifest what you, what you have faith in. Um, I just think that faith is so powerful and that it can, it really can move mountains literally and metaphorically. Um, God is definitely on your side and he wants you to be happy and he wants you to have everything that you require and that you want. And I just think that we have to have faith moving forward that everything is going to work out for us and we can create that better world. I love that. Dallin, do you have one that's your favorite? I think I have two. The first being men are that they might have joy. I think we're here to be happy and we have to find ways to be happy. I don't think life is just happy all the time and we're supposed to be that way. I think it's the search and this kind of becoming of living in eternal joy and making your current situation a heaven on earth. Um, and I love that Heavenly Father wants us to be happy. And I know I know that to my very core. And then the second being the concept of being charitable and compassionate. I think if we approach every situation from a place of love and wanting to understand, I think that that's where the miracles take place. I love that. And um, I just sense you're very close to Heavenly Father and very attuned to the gospel. And I think that's one of the learnings for me is as I've met with LGBTQ people, even those that were outside the teachings of our church is that they were within God's love and within um, the ability to get personal revelation within for their life. And I certainly validate your relationships with Heavenly Father and you getting personal revelation with your life, and I just honor that. Let me just, a thought came into my mind. Let's say I'm 23 and I'm just coming out as gay, and I'm aware of you guys, and you may get these kind of messages. And I say... To you, I say, should I do what you're doing? Should I find a partner and go into a same-sex marriage? Or should I be celibate? Or should I find a wife? And I'm kind of reaching out to you. What would you tell me? I would say pray. <laughs> Consult with your Heavenly Father. And honestly, I, in that scenario, I feel like you, I had to try. You know, I, I have never felt happier than in my relationship with Dallin. And I dated a lot of amazing girls while I was at BYU and afterwards, and they were all awesome and doing great things now, but I couldn't make it work with them. And to me, the thought of being a really good uncle didn't resonate. And being a good friend to people, I couldn't handle that. That made, But to lots of people, that does work. To lots of people, that is where they find their happiness and their joy. And so when you say being a good uncle, meaning not, you know, not having a family. Yeah, being celibate and, by, and alone. Not, I don't know. That yeah. doesn't sound negative, <laughs> but um, yeah. I just what would you say, Dallin? I think for me, I would say I have no idea <laughs> because my experience is so different than yours. And I do not have the answers. I can tell you that what I'm doing is working for me. I'm very happy with the choices that I've made. But my situation and my choices may not be the best for you. And what I would encourage you to do is love yourself first 
and talk with God, talk with yourself, get to know yourself better. And then kind of like Taylor was saying, maybe try a few things out. Maybe you have to do that. And you'll know, I think you know what your purpose is. I think God's already placed it in you. Your path is finding that. And so I can't really help you. <laughs> I want to, I want to be your friend. I'll be here to support you, but I don't have the answers. I like that answer. And it's probably the answer I was looking for is this idea that I sense from a lot of LGBTQ people is this is my path, but don't use my path as a example for your path. I think it's good for people to hear your path mm-hmm. as they're considering what is the right for them. But I think what you said is you've got to figure out your own path. And I sense that from a lot of LGBTQ people that are celibate, that are in mixed orientation marriages saying, this is my truth, this is my journey, this is what I'm doing. Um, But necessarily don't hold me up as an example either way. Just let me honor my own path. And And then I love what you said is stay close with Heavenly Father. And I think one of the things you didn't say these words, but are words that I counsel a lot is go slow. You know, there's no reason to just figure out everything all at once. And I think you both have gone slow, mm-hmm. even though I like that you came out at different times. I don't think one's right. I don't think, in other words, you're more courageous, Dallin, because you came out at 21 mm-hmm. and you're less courageous, Taylor, you came out at 26 or 27. Please, if you're not out, don't feel pressure to come out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this isn't a, like a podcast saying everybody has to come out. So there's some that may feel just using the principles you taught, staying close with God, that it's, I'm not supposed to come out right now. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, even if you're in a mixed orientation marriage or, or whatever. So I think everybody's got to figure that out. And the core thing is work with God and he'll help you. Yeah. And then I think straight people, I think are less good at this, but I think LGBTQ people are better at saying, cause you know, the space so well, you, you seem to honor everybody's path and, and hopefully, maybe this isn't true because you want some, I think the most mature LGBTQ people perhaps say, this is my path. This is my truth. This is my journey. But don't use, but you've got to figure this out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I don't know if straight people or LGBTQ people are better at that. The other thought that comes to my mind is, you know, my straight marriage can stand on its own merits. I don't have to take down your marriage by labeling it as not a real marriage. Mm -hmm. That's something that's really important to me. Um, I'm not threatened by your marriage. (laughs) I, I just recognize that this is your path and your fellow humans and you're part of heavenly father's family. And so I honor your path and I don't feel a need to demonize or victim, you know, villainize or uh, use words that sort of, lessen the the validity of your marriage. I don't try to, once a friend of mine said, well, I don't ever feel a spirit around people in same-sex marriages. And I've just thought, I don't really try to assess that. I actually feel a really good spirit with both of you. And I've spelt, thought that as soon as we you walked in the room, that there's a good spirit about you. And so I don't try to sort of assess through a spiritual feeling your station with God. I just see you as fellow human beings and I don't try to figure out, you know, if you have the spirit or not. Sometimes you meet people, you clearly don't have the spirit, but I've met a lot of people outside of my faith that have an incredible spirit and people in my faith that I kind of, wow. And maybe sometimes I'm that way, you know, where (laughs) I, I don't have a very good spirit within me, even though I'm in good standing with the church. So I try not to be as binary there and just more thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on any of that that I've shared? 
I feel like we're all out here braving the wilderness. We're all on our own path, right? So it's hard to look at someone else and say, you're doing it wrong, when I don't know if I'm doing it right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have to honor every person's experience. A lot of the times I, I see two sides. It's like everything's black and white, and I think we live in a gray world. <laughs> That's my my vision. Maybe I'm colorblind. I don't know, but I feel like we have to honor those people that choose to stay celibate in the church mm-hmm. because for them that makes sense and that's what they feel is right. And I honor them for being courageous in their decision. And I do the same for those that like me and Taylor that choose to get married or those that don't get married, but choose to come out and maybe they leave the church completely. I honor those people too. And I think we have to do that because when we're able to respect each other for our differences, we're able to come to a place where we all understand and love each other. And I think that's really where we need to move as a church, as an LGBTQ community, as the human race is coming to a place of understanding. And the only way to do that is by honoring every person's perspective. It's really well said. Sometimes I'm struck with the maturity. You two men are 27. I couldn't talk like this at 27 often the LGBTQ people are met have been stretched in a positive way where they have a depth of spirituality and a, and a kind of a structure to process really complicated things and often incredible relationship with Heavenly Father and Heavenly Parents because the institutional church that I believe in can't really answer all your questions sometimes. And so you've had to, you can eat, you know, you've had to work really hard with God to get personal revelation in your life. And and so just as you talk, you're, I keep reminding myself you're 27, <laughs> you know, because at 27, I couldn't have these sort of discussions. So I think it's really thoughtful with your maturity, spiritual maturity, social maturity, emotional maturity. And, you know, I love um, Tom Christofferson's book and Brother Eric Huntsman at BYU quoted from, and I'll just read a couple quotes if our listeners haven't heard this, but when Tom Christofferson the youngest of the Christofferson brothers came out as gay and then was in a same-sex partnership for 20 years. Tom's parents, Elder Todd Christofferson's parents, said this, the only thing we can really be perfect at is loving each other. The most important lesson your children will learn from how you treat our, how our family treats their Uncle Tom is that nothing they can ever do will take them outside of the circle of our family's love. So here's, you know, the grandparent Christoffersons that have now passed away talking about their grandchildren with Uncle Tom and saying, you know, the, this is, you know, nothing and teaching that nothing they can ever do will take them outside the family love. And that's why we need to treat Uncle Tom. And I love that. And the other one I like that Brother Huntsman quoted from Elder Chris, from Brother Tom Christofferson's book, Accepting Others does not mean we condone, agree with, or conform to their beliefs or choices, but simply that we allow the reality of their lives to be different than our own. Mm -hmm. So to me, what your father's doing in performing this marriage fits with this. It doesn't mean he condones, agrees, or conforms to what's happening here. And so there may be some dissonance where it's not exactly his first choice. I don't know. I can't speak for your father, Taylor. Mm But he's just re- allowing the reality of your lives to be different from his own. And he's honoring that. And it doesn't mean, and so he's saying, 
you know, I'm stepping in the space of performing this wedding because of these principles that Brother Christofferson is teaching, that to me are principles consistent with the doctrine of our church. So I, I just think that framework's helpful. Um, and so I like that quote too. Any other thoughts in closing? Either of you would like, and I, another thought is, you know, this isn't, as I've listened to, I had to listen to LGBTQ people to realize how difficult this road is. I just sort of thought everybody should stay celibate. And I invite everybody to stay celibate if you're gay and stay in the teachings of our church. But I met a, a man my age that was gay about six months ago, and he had just toured Europe. And he, we're Facebook friends, and he kept posting all these pictures of his tour with the, in Europe. And I had done that with my wife, and my wife and I were all those pictures. But he was just him in front of all these European landmarks. And when I saw him later, he says he said something very interesting to me. He says, you know, I'm in the church. I'm celibate. That's what I want to be. But there's no one to witness my life. And I just mourned how difficult that road is. And and you know that. And it's this par- it's this double binder, this paradox you're in. And so, a, a local leader that I went, I saw training when he was talking to the youth, and he talked about all the things that are part of a, a wonderful marriage, and physical intimacy is part of it. But then the youth volunteered all these other things, like you mentioned some, playing Pokemon together. Mm-hmm. And the different things that you do as a couple, that's possible because you're a couple. Mm-hmm. And so I just recognize that for my wife and I, our marriage is more than physical intimacy. It's all the things we share together. And I recognize that that's off the table for you as a celibate person. You can have friends, but I think we all recognize that that's different than having a life partner. And this isn't a vote to change the doctrine. This isn't me campaigning for, it's just recognizing the difficult situation our LGBTQ members are in. And, you know, if you're facing 56, if you're 60 or 70, maybe that's a shorter window and you can do it. Um, But if you're your age, that's a pretty long, you know, five or six decades of being alone that I just recognize is really hard. And if I'm going to honor my baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort, I've got to understand the nature of your pain so I can touch your cross and really understand how difficult your road is. And yeah, with all of that said, I'd still invite you to stay. I keep over communicating that, but I recognize how difficult it is. And so I admire you for um, staying close to God and trying to stay engaged as best you can in the church. And it's it's really remarkable what you're trying to do. And you have my support, my love. Um, I'm lifted by meeting both of you. I consider you both friends. You have great lives ahead of you. Um, you will accomplish things that you're able to accomplish because you have a partner. And you'll be able to support each other and sustain each other in your individual careers and life goals and bless people. So that's just kind of the way I feel. Any thoughts you'd like to share in closing, either of you? No, I think we just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for doing this podcast and reaching out to those families that, that need it. And it's given you a platform to to a cause that I think needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for it. Taylor's grateful for it. We're grateful for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but ultimately, I think it all comes down. It, it always comes down to this, but it comes down to love listening with love, loving each other and loving yourself. 
Love that. Taylor? Can't beat something that you guys have already both said so well. Um, I'm at a loss for words. It's good. It's just fine. You've both done a great job. And I guess another thought that comes to my mind is this idea of empty seats at the table of the next life. And we've kind of talked about that. And so some LDS parents would logically worry about, are you going to be part of our family in the next life? And are you messing up our eternal family? <laughs> um, and I think what I would encourage all of us to do is just leave that at the feet of the Savior. And and not and I call it sad heaven when I mourn now a future outcome. And I encourage all of us not to have sad heaven, and we, even if we have people in our lives not active in our church. And just leave that at the Savior's feet and and look at the power of our are sealing our temple covenants, and a loving Heavenly Father would want to get as many of his children back with him as he could. And he writes the rules and enforces the rules. And and so I would encourage LDS parents to not have sad heaven and just leave that at the Savior's feet and do everything you can to keep your family together like your parents are doing. And just that's what we can do as parents. And I think your parents are great examples. So that's just a closing thought. And um, thank you, Taylor, and thank you, Dallin. Congratulations for your upcoming wedding on August 30th. <laughs> thank, you. thank you for bravely sharing your story, and thank you for the good hearts and good souls and deep spiritual maturity you have and the future lives ahead of you and the good that you will do for so many people. And I'm grateful to have you on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>